well, we are still in Leviticus. And we are in Leviticus chapter 4. The title of today's message is More Sacrifices. <laughs> well, God has given us His Word, and He has given it to us, uh, as we have discussed, in repetition, because He really wants to hammer certain things and certain truths home. Uh, and so we have gone from chapter 3 talking about some of the peace offerings uh, that the Lord had given the, as a statute for the priest to deliver to the people, the peace offerings that they could offer up to the Lord at, concerning fellowship, con- concerning relationship with God. You know, peace offerings for what God has done in my life. Feast, peace offerings because He has forgiven me of my sins and because I have relationship and fellowship with Him. And then peace offerings because I love Him. And because I want to have more fellowship with him. Uh, God had provided all of this uh, within the context of the law. And and so you could kind of be uh, three different types uh, of of person within the nation of Israel. You could be someone who uh, maybe begrudgingly uh, or secretly really didn't keep the law. Uh, you could be someone who was wholly uh, committed to keeping the law because you wanted to do that which was right in the eyes of God and you wanted to have a relationship with God and you wanted to be forgiven of your sins. And then you could be the third type of believer. You could be the third type of person, which is a person who wanted more than that with God, who wanted to press in to the very nature of God and to have relationship with Him and to have fellowship with Him. Uh, I, I think of that portion that we read earlier in Exodus where after the people had sinned in creating the golden calf uh, and, and, and after they had gone through that period of time with the judgment from the Levites and all of this stuff and, and Moses had set, out, uh, set up a tent of meeting, not the tabernacle, but a different tent of meeting outside of the camp. And at that point in time, from then until the tabernacle was erected, anybody who wanted to seek God's face could come to the tabernacle. It was open for anybody who wanted to go there. And we know Moses was there, and it said Joshua barely left the place. (laughs) He wanted to be there at all times. Of course, we know he had seen, he had experienced the presence of God with Moses on the mountain, and he wanted to be there. But so many of the people, they stood at the doors of their tents, it said, and worshiped. Uh, and, and it's interesting to me. I'm sure, you know, within approximately two million people, there probably were many of those who did go out to the tabernacle and did seek after that closer walk with God, that closer fellowship to really see him. Uh, but, you know, we're not really given that, you know. And, and boy, I feel like what a ripoff, you know. So often we allow ourselves to be ripped off from what God has for us. We allow ourselves to be ripped off from what God has for us by not seeking Him in a deeper way, by not going that extra step. Just like any relationship that you have in this world, any, any physical, fleshly uh, relationship with another human being that you have in this world, the more time you spend with that person, the closer you are with them. The less time you spend with that person, the, 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 the farther away you are from them. You know, and so you, you might have you know, we, your circle of friends, you have your, your, your acquaintances, you know, and then you have your fringy friends, right? And then you have your very close friends that you have intimate fellowship with, and you know them, and they know you, and you can confide in them, and they can confide in you. And there's this deeper walk, and there's this deeper relationship based on time spent. 
Uh, and this is the relationship God has always wanted to have with his children. He's always wanted to have this. Going back to the Garden of Eden, you know, when he would walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve and he would have intimate fellowship with them and they would see him and they would speak to him face to face. And that was broken and that was taken away because of sin. And, and from that time going forward, God was moving and God was working to reestablish relationship with him. Uh, and of course, before Jesus Christ, it started with the law and it started with the sacrifices because atonement had to be made for sin. Now, Leviticus chapter 3 is concerning the, some of the peace offerings. And now in chapter 4, we're getting into some of the sin offerings which was properly intended to make atonement for a sin committed through ignorance. In verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4, it's by the priest himself, sins of ignorance committed by the priest himself. Verses 13 to 21 of chapter 4, it's the sins of ignorance committed by the whole congregation. Verses 22 to 26, it's by the ruler of the people. And verse 27, by a, by a private person. So this morning we're going to talk, uh, uh, begin this portion by talking about the, the sin committed out of ignorance by a priest and the sacrifice that needed to be made. Now, the first portion of the law, along with the instructions for the tabernacle and the priesthood, were given to Moses at once while he was on the mountain. You remember that period of time when Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, he's supernaturally sustained by God's presence. And there God is giving him the initial tables of the law. And he's giving, them the, giving him the instructions for the building of the tabernacle and for the priesthood and all of their garments and all of the things that were, were surrounding the worship of God. And now, after the tabernacle has been erected, God continues to deliver the law, and the tabernacle worship has begun, and God is continuing to give them the law. He's continuing to speak to the people now in further ways. So you see how God is now pressing them in closer. Okay, It's the initial tables of the law. It's the initial commandments of God. It's the establishment of the tabernacle. It's the establishment of the priesthood. And now God is drawing them in further. God is now giving them further instructions, deeper instructions in their worship of him. God wants to continually be working in our lives and giving us new ordinances as it pertains to his word. We should never be the type of Christian or the type of believer that feels as though when we were saved and we were initially walking with God, all the truths of God and all the things that he has for his lives were given to us at once. And from there, it's just a matter of walking in that for the rest of our lives. God wants to have a living and breathing and moving relationship with us. You know, we have the portion of scripture where Jesus talks about putting new wine in old wineskins. And I don't, I don't know the, 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 the chemistry of this, but if you have an old wine skin, which is an animal skin, and you put new wine into it, it would, the, bur the skin would burst, would, would swell out, and it would burst, and it would ruin the skin and the wine. Jesus talks about this. But you put old wine in an old wine skin, and you put new wine in a new wine skin that both might be preserved. Uh, and so we need to have uh, a freedom an openness in our faith and our relationship with God to have him move in our lives in a fresh way, in a new way. Aren't you thankful, aren't you grateful that you don't only know what you know about grace, what you knew 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago? You know, these are conversations that I have all the time. Like, oh my goodness, the, the, the so limited, the, so, the minuscule uh, understanding that I had of God's grace when I first started walking with the Lord again, you know, in my early 20s. And, and, and just the lack of peace that I had 
because of, of the expectations that I had of myself and also for other people. You know, I had such a limited understanding of God's grace and the freedom that I had in Christ to just seek after him and to press into him. You know, we, we, we're a superstitious people. And we have this belief and we have this feeling that if, if I don't have control over a situation or if I'm not constantly telling someone something, then, then they're, they're, they're not going to do the right thing. You know, it's a, it's a pastoral type thing. You know, I got to be telling you guys, you, know, you better make sure you don't do this. And there's this new thing out there that you guys better not partake of. And, and you guys better watch out for this. And that is part of what it is to be a pastor is warning the flock about certain things that may be coming into the church. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. If I show you the word, if I encourage you in the word, if I teach you the word and encourage you to go home and learn the word on your own, to press into the word on your own and to pray and ask God to reveal his word to your heart, he will do so. If you have faith and you act in obedience to press into his word, to know him more, he is going to work in your life. He's going to speak in your life. I won't then have to worry I don't have to worry about you guys all week long. Oh, my goodness. I hope Barb's not into some crazy thing this week, you know. Oh, what's, what's she up to? I better call and check on her. Barb, what are you doing right now? You know what I mean? I know she loves Jesus, and she loves his word and has a hunger for his word. And so God is going to work in her life, and God is going to... And here's the thing. He may show her to do something that I might be like, oh, I, don't, I, I wouldn't do that. It's not something that's in disobedience to God's word. It's something that he's showing her to do, though. And it's for her. I don't ever want to be in a position to take away from you something that only can be given to you by God personally. By overlapping that with my own entrapments and my own ideas of what your worship should look like. We honor God's word. If we study this word together and we are, are faithful to his word together and individually, God's going to show you the way. And at some time in your life, he may give you a brand new wineskin. You say, what do I do with this thing? Well, we're going to pour some new wine in there, kid. Okay? Not, maybe not real wine. We're talking about a moving of the Holy Spirit, right? We're talking about a work of God in your life. You understand? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. There's no cruise control in the faith. There's no cruise control. There's no self-driving cars in the faith. God wants to do the same kind of works in your life that he did 30 and, 40, 30 and 40 years ago. Not the exact same things, but God's not done with us. God's not done with us until he closes our eyes in death or until Jesus Christ comes for us. He has a ministry for you. He has work for you to do. There's no retirement in the God's kingdom, right? Well, I used to do all this and this and this and this and be a part of this and this and this in church, but I, you know, I'm just I'm done with that. Time for me now to just sit back and do nothing. That's, that's, I, I just can't seem to find that in there. Now, God will raise up new people, and God will bring new people in, and hopefully, and this is something that I've been praying about, God will start taking the younger people in the church, the younger generation, and stirring them up to become involved and have skin in the game here, because that's something that the church has really, really lacked in. You know, when I was a kid, it was like we were at church together all the time. And we had constantly, were doing things at church and having events at church. And, and everyone actually wanted to be there. <laughs> and we had, we had fun. And we had fellowship. And it kept everybody connected, not only with each other in fellowship, but also to that, that that's almost like a, a, a stream of consciousness, but a stream of the Spirit 
God uses fellowship. God works in fellowship. And it would keep everyone connected and connected with the word. And we've become so individualistic today in our society, in our culture. That's where it's gone is we're individualistic. You know, every single person has their own life apart from everything else on their phone. You know, they've got their, their little Instagram account and their little uh, Facebook account. And it's like they've got this whole world built in there. And they're disconnected from everyone else so often. And God wants to have fellowship, wants us to have fellowship with each other. And he wants us to be spending time together, encouraging each other in the word and in the faith. Uh, and so, yeah, that is important. And that's something that, that I hope you'll be praying about too, that God will start to stir up some of the younger people. But that doesn't give the, the older folks in the church a license to say, you know, I've done my time. No, 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 no. You, we don't get to do that. We don't get to do that. God's not finished with you yet. Wait till we get to Caleb. When they go into the promised land, my man's 80. And he's like, let's take the mountain, you know. He's not done. Because all of his, of, of his, of his, uh, his, his ideas of who he was and, and what he was about and what he wanted rested in God's promises. And, and he wasn't dead yet. He wasn't dead yet. And he was moving forward. Uh, but God wants to continually be working in our lives and giving us new ordinances and new things to do according to his word. Now, uh, let's begin. Leviticus, let's, we didn't pray yet. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, read this portion together and study it, that you would speak to our hearts and, and you would establish your truth uh, in us, Father, that you would have your way among us, Lord, and that you would be free this morning to speak to each person's heart individually, Lord, uh, into something that's going on in their personal lives, Lord, that you want to change or you want to encourage and press them forward in, Father. Whatever the case may be, Father, have free reign here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leviticus chapter 4, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, and now this is kind of the preamble and now he begins with the first group that he's going to be talking about which is the priests. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. He shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat is, that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. You know, you're going to be thinking in your mind all of a sudden the fatty lobe attached to the liver. You know, how many times have we heard the, the fatty lobe attached to the liver? I don't even know what the fatty lobe, <laughs> some piece of fat that hangs off the liver of a bull, I guess, right? I've never butchered one. 
attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh with its head and legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burnt and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out it shall be burned now uh, okay that's that's where we're that's where we're stopping for for this morning so first we're talking about the priest one of the priests if they committed uh, a sin unintentionally now I just want to talk first about this sin that we're talking about and that we're discussing and how it pertained to the sacrifices. These appointed sin offerings were for overt acts, which are acts of commission, but that were done uh, unintentionally or ignorantly or impulsively, okay? They were overt acts. So now you have the sins of commission and you have the sins of omission, right? A sin of commission is something that I do. It's an outward sin that I do. It's an action that I take. It's a thing that I say, a thought even that I have. It's something that I do, a sin of commission. It's a sin that I have committed. A sin of omission is not doing something that I know that God has asked me to do or that God has required of me to do, and I don't do it, that is what is called a sin of omission. Now, every single time, you've got to understand, every single time someone committed a sin of omission, there wasn't a sacrifice made, okay? The, the yearly sacrifice... Uh, when you would have the Day of Atonement, when the, when the Lamb was offered for, the, for all the people, that was to cover all of the little tiny sins that you, did, that you didn't even have, never, no idea that you did, okay? All the sins of omission. Now, remember also that Samuel, remember when, when Saul uh, offers a burnt offering uh, and he doesn't wait for Samuel to offer it, and, and Samuel comes and said, what is this have you done? And well, we were waiting for you and you hadn't been here, so I wanted to get this thing done. And remember Samuel goes into this speech with Saul and he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Remember, he talks to him about that. So in the case of a sin of omission, in other words, um, you know, you walk by someone on the street and then afterwards, if you, something like this, you probably have all experienced. You walk by somebody or you pass by somebody and you have an impression, say this or that to this person. I don't know, I should, I should go to that person and I should just say hi. Or I should do this or I should do that. And then you don't do it. You know what I'm talking about? And then afterwards you're like, why am I, why do I do stuff like that? That's a sin of omission. But here's the great thing about that. The next time you're in a situation like that, you're probably going to be more apt to do it because you're going to remember that sin of omission from the last time and you're going to do it. So you have this obedience that comes after the recognition of a sin of omission. There wasn't a sacrifice every time a sin of omission. Can you imagine? It would just never, ever, ever, ever end. Okay. Now, uh, in, in, let's see, willful, we're not talking about also, the other thing we're not talking about here is willful, premeditated, intentional sin, okay? This is for a sin in ignorance. In other words, it's a sin that was done, this would be your, your road rage moments, okay? This is, you know, someone cuts you off, and go, you stupid idiot, I hope you crash, you know. And then you go, oh my heaven's sakes, look at my heart. I cannot believe I, I, I act like that. That would, be a, that, would be, that would be one of these types of sins. It would be something that you were led into doing and you, had, you didn't have any realization. All of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, 
this is not this is not right for me to be doing. This is sinful. Or something going on in your uh, in a in a priest's life, and another priest comes to him and says, "Hey, you may not realize it, but you're breaking this law." Okay, these are the kinds of sins that we're talking about. If someone committed willful, intentional sin, in other words, they said, this thing I know that I'm not supposed to do, and guess what? I'm going to do it anyway. There was no sacrifice for these sins. Now, other than the sin, the, the, uh, the day of atonement at the end of the year, but there was no specific, if you're following me, there was no specific sacrifice for these things. I just, I, I don't like that guy's face, and I'm going to punch it, right? This guy, he's, he's, he, I, I don't like him, I don't like, and, and, and if he says this to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock his teeth out, and he says it, and bang, you know, that's a premeditated, that is a willful sin. There's no specific sacrifice at that point in time to be offered for you, understand this. There's only the judgment under the law. There's the judgment under the law. Whatever the law says is the consequence for that sin. In such a case of punching a guy in the face and knocking out three of his teeth, guess what your punishment is? He punches you in the face and knocks out three of your teeth. Or one of the, one of the judges would, or however that would work. That's where the Bible talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's not talking about vengeance that you, know, you personally take on yourself. This was in according to the law. Okay, If I get mad at you and hit you with a stick and break your arm, guess what? They're going to hit me in the arm with a stick and break my arm. There's no sacrifice to be offered to get you out of that judgment. All right? I want that to be, I want that to be clear, that we understand. If you decide, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to cheat on my wife. I'm going to have an affair. You're put to death for that. There is no sacrifice for you. Okay? Um, Hebrews chapter 10. You guys know this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 28, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Now, this is Paul, the, the, or the writer of Hebrews speaking under the covenant of grace, okay? But it certainly could pertain. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there, is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay? There was no sacrifice for open rebellion against God. There was judgment. There was no sacrifice for a person who rejected the law of God. Only judgment. Okay? So even within the confines of the sacrificial system... There's grace there, and it pertains directly to the person who has a heart to worship and follow after God, who, is, who wants to be obedient to the word and the will of God. There is no sacrifice to the person who has no desire to follow after God and has no regard for his laws. There's only judgment. Does that make sense? And it's really the same thing today. I don't care where a person lives or who a person is or where a person goes to church. There's, you know, as... One of my favorite preachers said one time that an old southern pastor told him when he was serving at a church down south, there's three types of people in the world. Them's that is, them's that ain't, and them's that thinks they is, but ain't. <laughs> okay? What God wants, what God is, is, is requiring of every single human being on planet earth is their heart. Is their heart. And that is given through obedience. Uh, excuse me, repentance, right? Repentance and obedience. 
to the Word of God and the will of God. These are requirements. These are not suggestions. Grace is not given to us to cover open rebellion. Okay, does that make sense? According to what we read in Hebrews. Grace is not given to us to cover open rebellion. A Christian is someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, who every single day wakes up and says, I want every aspect of my life to fall in line with God's word with God's calling, okay? And when God shows me something, when God tells me something or I see something in his word and it tells me that there's something in there that I must do or must not do, and I say I'm going to reject that, okay, that's open rebellion. And I'm not saying that, that, that if you have one thing like that in your life, you're not saved. There is, there, God has, he will. But here, here's the thing, Christian, you know. If you've had times in your life where there's been something in your life that you've held on to that God has shown you you're not supposed to hold on to, or you've continually done something or are doing something that you know God has told you or you know God's Word says not to do, there's no grace where that is involved. God is not going to save you from, from, from the consequences of that sin. Does that make sense? He is not going to save you from the consequence of that sins. If I go out tomorrow and I decide that I'm going to have an affair and cheat on my wife, God forbid, God will forgive me. God can forgive me. God can bring me back. God can maybe even restore my relationship with my wife. But the damage that is done from that and the consequences of me doing that, I don't get any forgiveness from. The, the consequences, you understand? Not eternal, but the consequences. God's not going to save me from that. The things in my life, if you, if you eat too much, which, you know, some of you might, or if you do a certain thing that's unhealthy in your life, you're going to suffer the adverse effects of that in your life. God is not going to save you from that. Right? Okay? So, no, back under the law, God required, required the worship of the people. God required the obedience of the people. The sacrificial system was not there to cover the hearts of rebels. Right? How'd that work out for Korah? Well, offer 20 bull Korah and we'll call it a day. No, he opened up the earth and swallowed them. Open rebellion against God, open rebellion against God's word and God's law. There was only the judgment. Okay, I just want that to be very, very clear. So we're talking, about, we're talking about just living this life before the Lord, loving Him, and I still screw up, all right? And I still make mistakes, and I still blow it. And there's repentance, and there's a, there's a heartfelt desire to be reconciled to the Lord. That's what God honors. That's what God accepts. And that's the offering that He's asking for based on that, okay? Um, so... Let's look at the sacrifice. First of all, this is for a priest specifically. This is not for the people. This is not for the ruler. This is not for the whole congregation. This is specifically for a priest uh, who commits one of these unintentional sins. Um, and the first thing we see, he has to bring a bull to the door. Um, let's see. I'm sorry. A young bull without blemish. Now, as we go through the sacrificial system, what we've also already been seeing and we're going to continue to see is that God makes allowances for people's worship to be evenly distributed based on what he'd blessed them with, 
okay? So if you're a person who's poor and you don't have any oxen, you don't have a herd of cows, all right, maybe you got a few sheep and you keep turtle doves, all right? God is not requiring of you a bull, okay? God was merciful to the people. Based on their situation, based on their circumstances, he would, one was required to give a bull, another was required to give a sheep or a goat, and another was required to give a turtle dove, and somebody could give grain with oil, all right? Based on, God's, on, on, on your situation, God was not going to ask of you more than you were able to give. God was not going to ask of you more than you were able to give. And it shows his grace and mercy in there because what was important in those sacrifices was the heart of the person offering it. To the person who was wealthy, to the person who had money, it would still sting to get your finest young bull from your herd, the finest, the greatest that you had, and to offer that to God. It was expected that your, your, your love of God and your willingness to obey his word and do what he called you to do superseded, superseded your own possessions and your love of the things that God had blessed you with, that those were always willing to be given up. And there was a cost involved. There was a cost involved based on the person's station. So a priest, it's a bull. A priest, it's a bull. It's a young bull. This is a costly thing. Uh, let him, which a young bull without blemish is a sin offering. He shall bring the bull, notice first, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Okay, so this is as you're coming into the tabernacle, before you get to the, the, the altar of burnt offerings and the brazen labor and all of these things, when you're coming into the courtyard at that doorway, that's where this bull was to be killed. And, and always we have, he would lay his hand on the bull's head and then kill the bull before the Lord. And so this is very important ceremonially in these sacrificial systems that he would lay his hands on the bull and the idea was there that God was allowing him, okay? Not that he was, the priest himself. God was allowing him to transfer his transgression to this bull. And this is spiritual because a bull doesn't sin, okay? A bull doesn't sin. A dog doesn't sin, there's no sin in the animal kingdom, right? Now, what's interesting to me is even though animals are completely ignorant of good and bad and right and wrong, they only know like reward and consequence or whatever. I don't get a treat. I get a spank. I get this. I get thrown out of the house at night, you know, whatever. That's what they know and they understand. A dog doesn't sit there and contemplate, well, I'd like to bite him, but uh, you know, the Bible says that we should love our enemies and do good to those. It's a dog. You're going to bite you, he's going to bite you, right? And so even within the ignorance, uh, and really the, 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 there's a purity to, to animals. You know, they, they don't know what they're doing right or wrong. But guess what? They were still held accountable for certain things, right? If an oxen was, known, was, was, was one who, who pushed and he hurt somebody, the oxen was put to death. Animals still went under God's judgment, even though they were ignorant of sin, okay? But that's neither here nor there. This bull hasn't done anything wrong. It's just a bull. Okay, And as the writer of Hebrews tells us, in actuality, the blood of bulls and rams and goats could never really wash away sin, could they? But God, in his grace and his mercy and his love towards his people, allowed this to take place, where the priest could take his hands and put it on the head of the bull and transfer his guilt to the bull. And at that moment, when his guilt was transferred to that of the bull, the price was paid for sin. And without the shedding of blood, right, 
there can be no remission for sin. This was known back to the garden, just after the Garden of Eden. Cain and Abel, they knew about the sacrificial system. Not, not, like, not like Moses did. They didn't have all the laws. But they understood that blood had to be shed. Abel understood that. He offered the fat of the, la- of the, of the flock. The, 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 a lamb within the flock. He understood that there had to be bloodshed. Remember, right after the fall, God clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins. You remember that? Do you know how you get the skin of an animal? <laughs> right? They had never seen death. They had never seen bloodshed. And so God himself, in some divine way, or the, one of the angels before them, took a pure, uh, just a sweet little lamb, or goat, or animal, whatever it was, and slaughtered it before their eyes, the horror that they must have felt. Seeing this animal be ripped, and torn, and gutted, and skinned. They'd never seen anything like that. They'd never seen death. They'd never seen blood spilled. The horror of it. God showing them, this is the cost for sin. This is the cost. This is what judgment looks like. So from the beginning, they understood sacrifice. They understood that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so now the priest puts his hands on the bull, and he takes its life. He cuts its throat. In the ta- I mean, the blood. The blood. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood. Now, this is not the priest who had sinned. This is the anointed priest. Whoever the anointed priest was who's serving in the tabernacle <clears throat> would take some of the bull's blood... And this is different than some of the sacrifices for the people. He would bring it uh, to the tabernacle of meeting and dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. Okay? So now this, the altar of incense, remember, as you go from the outer court and you go into the holy place... You have the table of showbread on your right, okay, that's going to be your right, the table of showbread on your right, you have the menorah on your left, and before the veil, you have the altar of incense. And we know that significantly in the scriptures, the incense represents the prayers of the saints. It represents the prayers of the saints going up before the Lord. And behind that veil, behind that separation that existed because of the law and because of sin was the ark of the testimony with the mercy seat. So in this case, the anointed priest, when a priest had sinned, would go right into the holy place. Because remember, this priest at some point may serve within this holy place. And so his offering, his sacrifice needed to go further. Needed to go further from outside of the, uh, outside of the holy place. Because at some point in time, he may serve in there. And so now, the blood that he is offering is taken into the holy place. It's sprinkled before the veil, and some is put on the horns of the altar of incense, which represents the prayers, which is where our relationship with God takes place, is in our prayers and in our, and in our, our time spent with Him. Um, and He shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base, now this is back outside into the courtyard, at the altar of, of the burnt offering, he shall pull the, pour the remainder of the blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the rest of the blood. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering. Now remember, at the end of chapter 3, 
chapter 3, verse 17, this shall be a perpetual statute before your, throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. Why? Because that belonged to God, right? The fat and the blood belong to God. And specifically, we're talking about the inward parts, the fat of the inward parts. That would be the best of who I am, the best of, of, of everything that I have is represented in fat. And life is represented in blood. The Bible teaches us that a person's life, a creature's life is in its blood, is in its blood. And so those two things, the fat and the blood, always belong to God. So blood is put on the, is sprinkled before the veil, it's put on the horns of the altar of incense, and then the rest of the blood is brought back out, poured around the altar, and then the fat parts are offered. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, verse 9, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering, same, same as the, the peace offerings in chapter 3, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. Okay, now here's something different. But the bull's hide and all of its flesh with its head and legs, its entrails and offal, all of the most fleshiest parts, outward parts of the bull, the skin, the head, the hooves, even its offal, its dung, would be collected. Everything would be collected here. Everything that remained of the outward, of the shell, of the bull. It would be collected, and the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place. This could have been as far as five miles away, by the way. As far as five miles away. Shall be collected and carried outside the camp to a clean place, in verse 12, where the ashes are poured out, and burn it on wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. In other words, all the ashes that were collected from all the sacrifices that were made were taken to this place outside of camp and were deposited there. That's where this bull's outward parts were taken and were burned. And Jesus Christ is again for us a picture of that. And the scripture teaches us that he was taken outside of the camp, outside of the camp and, and sacrificed. Remember, he was taken outside of the city and he was taken to Golgotha. And there he was offered for us uh, as, a, as it were a burnt offering when he was crucified for our sins. And so here is the end of the uh, sin offering for a sin of ignorance or an unintentional sin committed by a priest. We have the blood that is sprinkled before the veil and on the horns of the altar of incense, which represents the prayer of the saints. We have the remainder of the bull's blood poured around the altar of burnt offering and all of the inward fatty parts of the bull burned on the altar. And then everything else, all of the outward shell of the bull taken outside of the camp and there that would be burned as well. Quite a process, isn't it? Aren't you thankful for Jesus? I mean, my goodness, just the work involved. You know what I mean? Like, oh, don't you hate like yard work? And like, like I'm so glad I don't have to work in my worship. I'm so grateful that I don't have to come to worship God and go through this. I mean, just the, the intricacies of it and the, and the detail involved in it. And my goodness, you don't want to mess it up. You want it to be exactly right, exactly as God had ordained it and commanded it to be, lest you be disqualified, lest you not be forgiven. And for all of that, we're just, we're just getting started. 
and for all of this to be taken and to be bound up in the man Jesus Christ. And, and Paul talks about the fact that Jesus Christ became sin and nailed to the cross. All of the handwritings and the requirements that the Bible says that are against us because it's contrary to our nature, all of the handwriting of the requirements were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Not to, not to give us uh, impunity uh, for sin, not to say that it's okay, you can sin, you can sin with impunity now. No, but that we are free to worship Him. And when we do blow it, when we do blow it, man, we're already forgiven. We're already clean because of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? All right, that's all I got. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, let's, we, we're just grateful, Lord. We're, we're so thankful for uh, what you've accomplished for us, Lord, through Jesus Christ and how all of the details and the intricacies and uh, the, the, the blood and the, just the work involved, Lord, in, in the worship of the tabernacle, uh, Lord, that that has all been fulfilled and accomplished through Jesus. And we can just come as we are and raise holy hands before you because of his blood shed for us and worship you, Lord, and know that we have atonement and we have restored relationship with you, Father. Help us to walk in that, to commit ourselves to that, Lord, uh, and, and to always keep our hearts pure before you, uh, not in perfection of, 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 of our actions, Lord, but in our perfection of our heart, that we always want to do the right things, and we want to live lives pleasing before you, Lord, and we're always seeking uh, remedy for the things in our hearts and in our lives that, set, that separate us from you, Father. Help us to be uh, true worshipers of you, Lord, in spirit and in truth, and we are thankful and we're grateful for this day that you've given us to worship you and to fellowship together. I pray that you would make it sweet and it would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. <laughs>